This is Chad Harrington here. My company, Harrington Interactive Media, produces and sponsors this podcast. We help you create and market media. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, we'd love to help. We'll help you get your message out there and generate leads too. To start a conversation with us, click on our website link in the show notes of this episode and go to harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. In this episode, Charles McGowan and Neil Anderson share their talk called When God Calls You to Be Your Wife's Caregiver. It was recorded on April 17th, 2014. I think they knew our age, Charles. That's why they put these tools up here. <laughs> I should have gone to uh, this uh, four weeks ago and had a collection because my surgery was a week ago and two weeks ago. <laughs> I had cataract surgery, and my first cataract surgery... It was about noon, and I got home. My neighbor took me, and my wife was in desperate shape. And with one eye, I drove her down to the hospital at uh, about 2.30, and then I had a post-op uh, at 4 o'clock. So two weeks ago was some kind of a day for me. And um, uh, But Charles, this man is the one who introduced me to this area in 1991, 92, uh, at your church. And, and we've been good friends ever since. So what a neat thing for me to share this time with you. It's a blessing. Why don't you tell us your story and then I'll tell you mine. <laughs> well, I got off the road. I mean, I really got off the world stage about uh, over two years ago and uh, took care for my wife. And uh, initially, the idea was, was that we would just have some good time together in retirement and I would kind of stop traveling as much as I did. Uh, at the time, not knowing that basically it was primarily to take care of my wife. And um, and as she continued to deteriorate, uh, nobody could really find out what was wrong with her. I mean, she had a thyroid problem, she had adrenal exhaustion, she kept getting more tired, she couldn't sleep at night. And, um, and I started to see signs that she couldn't remember where she was at and this kind of stuff. And, and I suggested that. First, they treated it as a kind of a psychiatric case which no medication really helped her a bit, of course. And, uh, but I realized probably last fall, very sobering thing for me personally. I mean, I was actually sitting in front of my computer and I realized that something had dramatically turned. We're not trying to find something to fix my wife. We're trying to find something out to make her comfortable. And, uh, and how do I share that with her? Because we're still trying to why am I not getting well? And uh, and I remember a very defining moment when I was with her at a doctor's office, and uh, I brought up the whole idea. And, uh, and we hadn't really talked about that before. Her dad died with dementia. And um, she said, I was wondering about that myself. And uh, and finally, we had a, about a three-hour memory test, and, and that became definitive for us. Uh, she's got other health issues with this. My... my uh, in particular case, to be honest with you, uh, come out of an experience I had many, many years ago when an older 
Sunday school class at a church asked me to speak at the retreat. And uh, and for some reason at the time, you know, I took the concept that everybody's terrorized by the idea of impermanence. And uh, so I spoke to them about planning for your future and having, assuming that all of these people, these, these uh, couples in their 60s and probably 70s at that time, had all thought about this, talked about this, and I come to find out they had not. I mean, it was really kind of a surprise to me. I was at that time, you know, in my 40s, I suppose, but but uh, I assumed everybody, when they get to the age of this time, you've made funeral plans, you've made appointments, you've done things with kids. And so, you know, having that in my own background, uh, knowing what was coming, I made sure that I had power of attorney. Uh, when Joanna, we had a living will. Uh, we just recently saw a lawyer and made sure all the... Uh, property is in my name. Uh, she's still in the will. If I die first, which could happen, uh, then I had to appoint my daughter as an executor. And um, and what I'm saying is, is that you know, while she still had enough cognitive ability that we could make these kind of decisions together and talk about them. And uh, and so, you know. It's an interesting thing. The older it gets, thing we're going to talk about this. But you've got to talk about it. You got to talk about it for your kids' sake. You got to talk about it for your wife's sake. And um, uh, my my story is a little different because right now, uh, you know, Joanne is one of those kind of people who never had an enemy in her life. I mean, uh, she's she's a private person. I never cared too much for public ministry, but uh, I mean. Her idea of sinning, I don't even know what it would be. I mean, I've been so blessed to have her as a maid for years. I mean, it's just total innocence, essentially. And uh, But our whole relationship has changed so dramatically. Um, it's not a husband-wife relationship anymore. She even calls me daddy. Uh, the tender parts are two or three times a day at least, she'll just kind of wander in and I need prayer. And, uh, that's a very special time, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm finding, at a deeper level, what it means, man, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And uh, and that's that's my calling in life. I said, to go, to be honest with you, the last year of, of my road ministry, two years ago, a little over two years ago now, I went to 17 different countries. And all of a sudden, I can't hardly leave my house. And. Uh, does that bother me? No, to be honest with you, and I, Charles is going to speak to this too, and I wish you would because I think it's very, very important. Um, I saw my mother live with a difficult man for years, uh, and she built a life for herself, stayed with him, did the right thing, whatever else. And, uh, and I realized, I said, to be the best caregiver I can for my wife, I've got to have some life myself. And fortunately, that was possible because of my writing and stuff like that. So I do a daily blog, and I've been doing a, a lot of writing. The only problem of it is is that I really wasn't prepared for this cataract surgery, and I didn't know that it would correct my far vision but not my near vision. And so I've got about two, three different tear of glasses. I'm looking at one to read and another one to see my computer. So I'm waiting for that to correct, too. But uh, Charles, I know you and that the concept of not being there for my wife is not even out in my mind. I mean, this is my, my calling in life. This is what God called me to do. And, and I'm totally comfortable with that. But I heard you say yesterday when we had lunch, I said, there's the, a tender part of that whole thing. There's also a loneliness that comes with it that I didn't really have anticipated. 
and how lonely that can be of just being in the house with your wife and uh, where the whole relationship has changed. It's not a husband-wife relationship anymore. I manage everything for her, and I know you do too. Thank you, Neil. I read on some uh, church billboard uh, the other day a, a phrase that caught my attention. It says, life is what happens when you're planning to do something else. And uh, that's kind of the way it is with me, quite frankly, and maybe you too. I, I had dreams and visions of what I would do at this stage in my life. Uh, we, would, we would travel, we would spend lots of time with grandchildren, we would do various things, and, and, uh, and it hasn't turned out the way that we had planned, or at least the way I had planned. <clears throat> About six years ago, I, I uh, had a meeting with my wife's doctor, and I said, I'm a little concerned about her because um, there's some changes taking place. She, she doesn't seem as engaged uh, socially. <clears throat> And she said to me, you know, Charles, I've noticed that, but I, I think it may be related to our hearing. I, I, I noticed when I talked to her, she would, she would not quite get what I was saying, and I would speak louder and make it clearer. And, and I said, well, you know what, that's really encouraging. Maybe hearing is our problem. So she made an appointment with me, a uh, me with an audiologist and an EMT doctor, and but we found out that her hearing had declined some, and so we invested far too much money in hearing aids uh, for her, you know, only to to lose them, you know. And I discovered she really couldn't manage them at too intricate a machine for her. So I went back to the doctor and I said, I don't think hearing is a problem. And so she referred me to a geriatric psychiatrist uh, in Nashville, and he did the little three or four hour psychometrics test. <clears throat> and he says she's, she's, she does have a memory issue. So in order to be fully satisfied, uh, I made an appointment with Mayo in Rochester, and we took a long leisurely trip in the worst part of the year uh, in January to Rochester, Minnesota and spent eight days there for a complete <clears throat> medical workup. At the end of which, the neurologist um, sat down with us and said to us, uh, Alice, you have uh, a degenerative neurological condition. We call here a mild cognitive impairment. It's something for which we have no cure. It will only get worse and probably will develop into full-blown Alzheimer's. Um, <clears throat> That didn't come as a great shock to me, and to my amazement, uh, my wife, I'm not sure, really comprehended it. And we had a leisurely trip back to Nashville, we talked about it, and I said to her, I, I want you to know that we're not going to keep this secret, but I will not violate uh, your privacy, but I think it would be far better if we just was open and honest about it. Uh, the staff at the church, I was at Christ Press in those days. Um, uh, was wondering about it and what we'd done and where we'd gone and I said to them, Alice has memory loss problem and so we made no effort to, to hide it or to cover it up and uh, so everybody who really knows us or knows us well knows what we struggle with and interestingly people who interact with her briefly uh, really have no awareness that she has problems because Fortunately, and this is not always the case, her personality is essentially unchanged. She has a great sense of humor. 
and, uh, and she continues to have that. But she has moved deeper and deeper into memory loss. And so about when I got back from Rochester, I made plans to make a major shift in my lifestyle and give her more and more of my time. And so I don't range, this is about as far as I range from home. And in order to leave the house this morning, I had to make lots of arrangements for her. Um, because unless I leave notes in the right places, uh, she will panic in terms of where I am. And um, so I, I've, I've thought about how to say well, but I would like to share with you this morning. I've, I've had several surprises in the midst of this. Uh, the first surprise is the amazing provision of God to give me grace. Uh, you remember the old story, the Mickey Rooney uh, movie that Mickey Rooney was in, the Boys Town story? He comes in with his brother on his back in the middle of a, a blinding snowstorm and the priest says to him, is he, is he heavy? He says, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Remember that famous line? <clears throat> I think somebody wrote a song about that uh, later. You dated Miss Charles. <laughs> well, there are a few people here. There are a few people, I see them, who would remember that. <clears throat> but uh, you remember it, don't you? <laughs> remember what? <laughs> but I have been absolutely astounded the deep sense of joy that God has given me for the privilege of caring for my wife. And I'm not just blowing smoke there, I really mean that. It, it, it's, um, I find great delight in being able to serve her. And, um, and we've re reached the point where I do just about everything for her, but that I manage every aspect of her life with the exception of personal hygiene. And I fully realize that they may come, that they may come. Uh, my wife has lots of problems. She has memory loss is the, is the defining problem, but she's a severe diabetic, has to take insulin three times a day, piles of pills, check her blood, blood sugar levels three times a day. Um, she has hypertension, so we check her blood pressure three times a day. I keep accurate records of all of this, communicate it to her doctor, etc. I manage all of her medical care. Uh, attend the doctors, I'm with her in the doctor's office, because when we're on the way home, she'll say, well, what did the doctor say? And, uh, or I will say, that was a good report, Alice, that, I was really encouraged by that. She says, well, what did he say? And so I will do the communications link as to why we should be encouraged at that doctor's visit. She also has macular degeneration. She's suffering severe <clears throat> eyesight loss. Um, she has a terrible arthritic knee. She's almost confined to a wheelchair. Um, she's not much younger than I am. She's 76, will be 77 in, in June. So, but I found great delight. Uh, but it's required a, a major transition for me because I'm a fast mover. I run a tight schedule. I move from place to place to place. I've got to leave here to go to another meeting up at Brentwood Academy that uh, starts at 8.30. And, um, but she's all prepared because the note says I'll be home at 10. I told her I'll be home at 10. The other great surprise to me has been what Neil has already referred to as a sadness that really 
kind of marks my life these days because I, uh, that's a loneliness that I never anticipated I would ever experience. Uh, our relationship has radically changed. I no longer have the intimacy of a wife. Um, um, she can't comprehend what's going on in my life. Uh, I will try to share an experience with her, like taking her to a movie or something, but she doesn't comprehend it enough to really be able to interact with me about the movie. I, uh, she doesn't know what's going on in my life, or at least she doesn't comprehend it to the point where she can really interact. How do you feel about that? Or I'm so proud of you. Or you did a good job. Um, it's a major loss. It's a major loss, and I grieve about that daily. Not constantly, but daily. I'm regularly reminded. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my sons uh, said to me when in the early stages of this, she said, Dad, how are you handling this? And I said, well, you know, I find great joy, but there's great sadness as well because I'm a very lonely man. Uh, I'm all alone in the home, in a real sense of the word. I now have a different role in her life. I'm no longer really a husband in that sense of the word. I'm now her caregiver. And that's hard to describe. It's a, it's a very hard thing to describe. But um, I find great help in talking with people like Neil, and I've got really lots of friends, pastor friends, whose wives, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day down in North Georgia, and I said, well, how's Mary doing, Ken? And he says, well, he says, uh, it's a new experience every day. He says, like, says, Mary's been doing laundry for us for 60 years, and you know, she, the duty, she puts it in the, in the in the washing machine, then she takes it out, puts it in the dryer, and then she takes it out and she folds it. Well, she's now forgotten the, the dryer part. And so I came in the other day and she had done the laundry, but the, the laundry was hanging all over the house, you know? And, um, and, and then he said she woke up the other night, she won't be able to die, she was, she had found this man in her house. She said it was a burglar. It must have been a burglar. And, uh, and she, she was sure she saw him. And as a matter of fact, she was talking to him when I woke up. She said to him, if you're looking for something, maybe we can help you find it. <laughs> and uh, so it helps to talk with people who are having the same kind of experience that, that we're having. Do you find that to be true? Uh, yes. And I was very blessed by the fact that I'd had a couple of experiences in our own ministry in the past that really helped me prepare for it, to be honest with you. Our Swiss director developed dementia. And uh, and I don't know if you know Swiss, but their wood piles are like this, and everything is perfect, and you put on this really incredible front. I mean, it's the most beautiful country in the world, but the folks aren't that friendly. I mean, it's really interesting. And, uh, and I, I talked to their board member. I said, you've got to tell the people. You can't pretend because he's going to start turning people off. They won't understand his behavior, and he cannot do his whole ministry. And uh, so he said, what do we do? Because they were all kind of playing this game. And I said, well, to be honest with you, help his wife out because uh, she probably, he won't accept that from her. If she says something to him, he won't accept it. And I said, you need to actually have an intervention and have the board there, the kids there, whatever else to see it. And he walked out twice, you know, and finally came back in. Finally, he did accept it, and they were able to tell 
uh, the people they administered to for years in Switzerland that this is his problem and so uh, you don't misunderstand his behavior. Uh, I find it tough for my son right now, who is probably the closest relationship in our family, is my, my son and his mother. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Joanne is treating him like a boy, and, uh, and he doesn't quite know how to respond to mom when she does that. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's almost harder right now for my son than it is for me. And, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, it's just speak the truth in love, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, be as honest as you can. My kids know exactly where their mom is at. Uh, we, 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 we walk in the light. And I, I can't overstate how important I believe that that is, that we aren't dodging around the issue or we don't have any, you know, uh, big old elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about. And uh, so I've tried to practice that for years. But it's, if, in all honesty, in my case, this is the third time I've gone through this with my wife. Uh, my wife, my whole ministry is defined by our relationship in that regard. And the first time I was the pastor and she lost her eyesight, she was 40, they went to do lens implants. And I frankly made a commitment at that time to get her out of the role of a senior pastor's wife. God had called me to ministry and I had no idea what God was going to do with that. But that led to my appointment at Talbot School of Theology where I taught for 10 years. And the second time we went through it, I didn't know for 15 months whether she was going to live or die. We literally lost everything we had. And frankly, out of that brokenness was the birth of Freedom of Christ Ministries. And uh, I talk about it in my memoir, The Rough Road to Freedom. And so my wife has really essentially defined my whole progress in ministry. And it's a journey that we've traveled together. But I've been constantly tested, if you want to think of it that way, is that God and then my wife and family and then ministry. And, uh, and every time I made what I thought was a sacrifice for the sake of my wife at the expense of ministry, it only enhanced my ministry. It, it, it's, it's a paradox, to be honest with you. And I look back over that issue and I said, but, it, but it's, you either have those convictions to begin with and you live them out no matter what the cost. And some of you probably heard me share sometime. I said, another one was, was when my daughter was raped when she was 15. And, um, and she got pregnant. And you don't believe in abortion. It should be an easy way out, right? Not if you have a relationship with God. So my little 15-year-old carried that child to full term, and we adopted the baby out at that time. We felt that was best and chose the couple that would uh, bring it. When that gal was 18, she wrote my daughter a letter, and when she was 21, we met her. And uh, But uh, my daughter married a wonderful man, and then had two children with that marriage, and they always knew they had a half-sister. They grew up knowing they had a half-sister. I just say that to say, folks, this is real life. You walk in the light. You speak the truth in love. I mean, you deal with life's adversities as they come in this part of life. And it happens to us Christians, too. And um, so, you know, Charles, it's, it is tough. I, I look forward to retirement, that we would have some time to just travel and go some places. I can't go anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm really essentially housebound right now. And um, and I get out for a few things my son lives by, so he can come over and help out a little bit. But, um, and, uh, and it isn't a relationship that we had for years. And, and it was a good relationship. I mean, I lost my best friend and my life partner. And um, but this is my calling right now. <coughs> It's not the world stage, it's, it's right here. 
and I don't begrudge that. And you know what saved my sanity is, is that, man, I blog every day, and, and uh, except right now, with that stupid surgery, I got three pairs of glasses trying to see my <laughs> computer screen. I can see you. I can't see the stupid mic. And, uh, <laughs> so I got an appointment this afternoon. You'll help me out with that a little bit. So, you know, one of the things, Neil, that I have struggled with is is not overmanaging my my wife, my sweetheart. I try to find that balance between being a proper help to her, but not robbing her of her freedom and self-respect. And uh, that's not always an easy balance to find because uh, sometimes I will be doing things for her and she'll look at me and she'll say, do you think I'm stupid? I can do that. And I'll just quickly back off. And, uh, and then there are times when, when she struggles and I ought to be helping her. But this is a progressive thing as we move day by day by day. Her needs change and I've got to adjust to that. And um, the thing that's, one of the things that's real tough for me is seeing that, that emptiness in her eyes. Uh, somebody called yesterday afternoon and said, Charles, we're bringing some food by. And uh, she didn't make it clear when this comes by. And so I said to Alice, good news, Alice, somebody's going to bring some food by. So we have, you know, we have some, some good different food for And uh, <laughs> I, I won't have to cook. And uh, so she went back to the bedroom and she dressed, very, got herself real pretty. And the person never showed up. And I almost wept as I saw her sitting there in the living room, all dressed, waiting for somebody. And the person probably got waylaid or something and never showed up. And uh, the TV wasn't going, she was just sitting there staring. And uh, that broke my heart. And uh, it, is, it is very understandable that people relate to her differently because she can't interact with them the way she used to. And, um, and yet, I think she experiences a measure of loneliness that I don't even understand, you know. She, she can't read anymore because she forgets what she just read. She used to be a voracious reader. She can't read anymore. And when we go to a movie, she has a difficulty following the storyline, so we can't really talk about that. And so she spends a lot of time playing solitary at the kitchen table. And I was noticing the other day, it's not even a full deck of cards. The cards get lost. So I'm not sure she even knows what she's doing when she's sitting there at the table uh, playing cards. Somebody wrote a note asking us to comment about our children's reaction to this. This has been tough for our children. All of our children, of course, are adult. We've got 19 grandchildren uh, scattered all over the world. <clears throat> but um, when, when Alice first began to demonstrate the uh, symptoms of severe memory loss, uh, our oldest son said to me, put me aside, he was visiting the Christmas holidays. He came to me and said, Dad, I don't think Mom's really trying. I, 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 think she's, I think she's just sort of given up. I don't think she's really trying. 
Well, she had retired to the bedroom and kind of disengaged from the family conversation, and it kind of irritated him. And he held on to that for probably several months. He was really irritated at his mother that she really went crying. And, um, and, and then the other children are, have experienced a lot of sadness. And, um, and I think they're sad because their children won't experience the woman that they love so much and who cared for them so deeply as, as they were growing up. So at Christmas time, my oldest son, who accused his mother of not really trying, um, wrote her a letter after he got home. He came up to visit us, and he wrote her a letter, and he said, Mom, I know that you don't do internet, and, um, and the life has changed for you. I've made a commitment. As a gift to you, I'm going to write you a letter every week. That's great. Every, every week. I, I called him and I said, that's a big commitment. That's a big commitment. You're going to write your letter. You have promised her you're going to write her a letter every week. That's a big commitment. He says, now I'm going to do that. Every week, he writes her the sweetest letter. And she's eager to share it with me. How much he loves her. What's going on in his life. His visit out Colorado to visit his daughter. And, and so forth and so on, and how proud he is of her, and, and it just means it just means an awful lot. And uh, I have full support of our children, and um, uh, and that means a lot to me. You know that they're and they regularly say, Dad, whenever you need a break, whenever you need help, just call on us. But they grieve too because the woman that raised them no longer really exists. One of the sad things in life is you're never done parenting. <laughs> I thought you went to school. And um, you're back? <laughs> it is a tough transition for our kids to make. Right. Because they, their perception is, you're my dad, you're my mother. And uh, they're, they're always going to have that perception. And they start to realize after a while, in reality, they kind of become your parent. And... Um, and, you know, honor your mother and your father. I believe primarily in the Old Testament, I mean, financially take care of your aging parents. And uh, we had to, just Joanne's dad had to mention, we had to do that for five years. And uh, so I saw it there as well. But the roles reverse, essentially. And, uh, uh, and, and that's just part of life. And I, th I think you got to help them transition as well as ourselves. Uh, you know, that somehow I, I moved back here because my son moved here and took my grandkids with him. And, um, you know, part of it was we came back to help them, you know, adjust and all that kind of thing. And I said, now it's kind of reversing essentially. I'm so glad that we're here because I have my son close by and uh, to help us, you know, when we need help. And, uh, but thank God for family. Can you imagine, Charles? going through what we're going through right now, if we didn't have eternal life, if we didn't have the Christian community, if we didn't have kids who loved us, I, it would really be lonely. I can't imagine what that would be like for some guy who has no hope for the future, just sitting there day by day. Uh, yeah, I'm more appreciative than, than, than ever, uh, not only for the nuclear family, our children and grandchildren, who are very, very supportive, and who share the grief with me. 
but for the larger Christian community, I mean, we get more support from our Christian friends here in the city than we ever dreamed that we would get. We would get. And then we need to remind ourselves, Neil, that we are preachers, and preachers are notorious for going overtime and it's 8 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> May never be. <laughs> You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media. We'll help you launch your podcast with confidence and excellence so you can get your message out there and connect with your audience in measurable ways. That's harringtoninteractive.com. <laughs>